Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Calling a Man's Answer Show live every Tuesday and Friday with the best new host in podcasting. If you guys have not already, follow me on my social media at Calling a Man's and on your favorite streaming platform at Calling a Man's Answers to stay up to date with the show. This is episode 35 with a horror podcaster out of Ontario, Canada. Do I need to say more? I don't think so. Take a listen. Great episode. Well, thank you for doing this. Uh... Uh, it's good to meet you through, obviously through Zoom. Uh, the way I usually just start it is just go ahead and introduce your yourself to the listeners, what you do, the podcast that you're co-host for, and everything like that. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I'm open to anything and everything from podcasting to whatever else you want to talk about. Uh, like right now, I'm dealing with figuring out teaching through the uh, through the pandemic for a second round. Right now, Ontario's under uh, uh, lockdown. So we've got an extra week where we have to thought we were back at school, but we're not. Whatever. I'm easy. Uh, so Ontario, you live, is it Washington or Canada? No, 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 Canada. You, oh, Ontario. You say- I, live, I live just east of Toronto. Nice. Uh, are you born and raised in Canada? I was born in Pointe-Claire, Quebec. Mm-hmm. So, but I left when I was 18 months old and I've grown up around Toronto my whole life. Nice. I've, the closest I've been to Canada is Niagara Falls. Um, but uh, me and my buddies are for like spring break or something last year, we were going to go up to uh, British Columbia because I'm going to school in Oregon. So we were just going to drive right. up. It was like five, six hours and go up there. Um, so yeah. I've never, I've, I've, I've never been on that side. I've ne- I haven't been any further West than Ontario which at some point, like for me to drive to BC is, I'm going to say close to 24 hour. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, so I live on the West coast of the United States, but like for me to drive to like Midwest East coast would be like 24 hours to two days. So yeah, we, we, for our honeymoon, I've been married since 2013. We flew, down to um, San Diego. We rented a car and drove up the Pacific Highway as far north as San Fran. Really? And we, and we did that along the uh, mountains. And a fantastic, fucking fantastic. Best trip I've had in my life. It was amazing. The longest drive I've ever made is I drive every year from my personal driving. I drive every, not really years, six months. When I go back to school, I drive through the entire Nevada into Idaho and then through Oregon and that drive from, so it's like 17 hours. So I usually break it up okay. to base, uh, but the drive from Idaho, Boise to Portland area, which is like basically the coast of Oregon. It's the most beautiful drive I ever had. You basically, as soon as you get into Oregon, you drive along the Columbia river and it's just beautiful scenery. The only thing I can say about the drive is sometimes because in Oregon, it rains all the fucking time. So sometimes when it's raining, I mean, it will rain it will monsoon basically the entire drive. So that's a little, little sketchy sometimes, but it's a beautiful drive. How far are you from Seattle? So when I'm up there uh, about three hours. So you've, you've obviously been there before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So what we would love to do, we were lamenting. Uh, oh, I just went black. <laughs> um, 
last time we wanted to get into wine country because that was a little further north than San Fran. Mm -hmm. And from there we wanted to get into Oregon. We just, we only had 10 days. You can only get so far in 10 days and really make it worthwhile. I love going, have you been to Alcatraz? No, but I, my, a bunch of my family lives in San Francisco and every single time I'm down there, I see the island. I just want to go so bad. Oh, it was honestly, it's the best trip I've ever had. You're, 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 have you seen Escape from Alcatraz with uh, Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Yeah. So I was running around the baseball diamond mm -hmm. that's out in front and you're doing all these, uh, you're going through and you, and you, you see the cell where the guys were that escaped and they take you to the cell where Al Capone was. That's and they wild. tell you about the history of the island. And for a while there, there are people like the the cooks, the guards, the the wait, the, the uh, nursing staff, and everything. Benjamin Bratt from Law and Order was born on Alcatraz Island. Really? I, yeah, I think his dad was. I don't know. Was he a guard or he was a doctor? Or he was something. Lived. His, he was born there. <laughs> like That's you can wild. have a whole family. You can. Have, they had a whole thing up there. And then for a while there, it was taken over by the natives and they took it over as a protest for like, I don't know I how long I that, knew was. that Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was an, uh, an amazing trip. You, next time you're with your relatives, say uh, you got to go. But the one thing you do have to do is book in advance. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, that's the reason we couldn't go is because like we went, when I was down there, it was like all three days were like taken up that I was there. You can't just drive up. I mean, unless somebody's quote unquote scalping them, yeah. you can't just, you can't just walk up unless it's like maybe some off season where you flukily you can walk up, but you got to book them through. So we went through that and we went to Muir Woods, like on one big package. Muir, what was that? Have, that's where they have the, the tall sequoia trees. Oh, okay. Yeah. I and you can go through those. And, and that was, that was neat, but it was cool. But I, but uh, uh, Alcatraz was my, <laughs> was my want to go to. Yeah. So, I mean, and, I can ask you this. What do you think yeah. happened with those people at Alcatraz? Do you think they survived or do you think they drowned? I think – I don't know that the, all of them made it, but I do think at least one or two of them made it. Uh -huh. And I, I think that, you know, they probably just blended in if they were smart. The, 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 and, the, I mean, the thing was they were hardened criminals, right? They weren't the brightest of the bunch. Uh -huh. But they were smart enough to know what they needed to do. Like they were crafty. So I think they probably did get there, but what happened to them after that? I mean, they could have died of hypothermia three hours later. Yeah. Uh, they could have crawled to the lo local pub or tavern, had a beer and, you know, maybe shot their mouth off and got arrested as somebody who knows. Like, I, I don't know that they all, I don't know that they all made it. I mean, the sharks could have gotten one of them. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, you do, I was going to say, you do know that they hold a, a, a biathlon or whatever triathlon there and the, and, the, and there's the race out to the rock and back like it's it is a good i think it's a couple miles cold choppy water with yeah. sharks and everything else out there like and it would be you'd have to i mean you'd have to be in really good shape to have to do it you know yeah and that's what i was thinking that's one of the things i always think about when i think about that story is is how cold and choppy it was and they were in prison so it's like it's not like they're training to be olympic swimmers or anything they were just yeah if they got it, I mean, maybe if they were working out all the time and maybe they fell in at the end, they could have maybe made it. But I was just thinking, I don't know. At least, I think at least some of them died, and I do think one of them made it. I, I do think that one of them – it's better to think one of them made it than one of them didn't because they didn't really find anything besides the – like some of the leftovers of the raft, the makeshift rafts, right? 
Yeah, the, the, the raft, I think they they found a couple of the paddles, perhaps washed up to shore. And there's that really, the, the famous scene at the end of the movie where the flower is there and the guy smells it and he goes, oh, they did make it or whatever. And, and that's the thing. It's like D.B. Sweeney or whatever. You, you don't know if he made it out of the plane and, you know, yeah. it's, it's part of folklore, right? Yeah. No, that's Who another knows? one. That, when I came across that story, that blows my mind because that's the route that, because I, I remember reading it, I think it was my freshman year of college. So that route he took was basically my, the entire place that I live from Oregon to Nevada, basically. And he jumped somewhere over the middle of Nevada, I believe. I don't want to butcher that. But when I heard that, I was like, oh, I hope he made it. Because that, like, he's just this, this like rugged guy. He's like, he was in a suit. He had those glasses on and he just basically robbed this plane and he got away with it. So like, I kind of want him to. Like, I, I don't know the, I don't know the fine details of that tale. I know, I don't know that. Uh, I, I don't know if it was a, um, uh, a charter plane, or if it was just a small plane, or if it was a big commercial plane, I don't know what the details of that are. But uh, I think that he enjoyed himself, and if he made it off, God bless him. <laughs> Take the money and run. Definitely. Do you believe in the Bermuda Triangle? <sighs> I believe there's probably um, a scientific, you know, uh, explanation for it. I think there there might be some kind of scientific pull or something with the, uh, not the genetics, but with the uh, magnetic pull. There could be something towards a certain section of it. Do I believe that if you drive through there or you float through there, you're going to have your boat sucked up? No. Do I believe there's some kind of water creature in that area? No. But there is a there probably is a reason. I mean, it's probably pretty bad weather-wise. And especially the days before they had all the, me the uh, mechanical equipment to sonar and all that, uh, you were screwed. I mean, if you got caught up in one of those big um, storms, it's the skill of the captain. It's the skill of the driver. And if you're going to go down, I mean, if you have a 30-foot, if you have a 30-foot wave, you're going to go down. But like, there's the whole, I mean, there's other parts of the world where there's been lots of ships go down. I mean, Yeah. It's, well, it's pretty freaky, though. I always think about planes because I think they think that Amelia Earhart disappeared around there. I, I Again, I don't know the exact details, but I think they think that Amelia Earhart disappeared around, somewhere around the Bermuda Triangle in her plane. So that's the thing. Like I always think, like, is there just an island where all these people get washed up to? Or is it just like, the, like you said, like some scientific reason the poles don't connect um, the same ways? Or like um, it like disconnects for like these so they can they can't speak to the radio towers boats I totally understand because like you're already in the water and you can just get capsized but like planes and, and, I mean you're in it you're you're probably in a dead zone L like you're literally in the middle of nowhere and the closest land is I don't know how many miles away so even if you did have cell phone service or you did have walkie talkies it's a long way to travel to get to them. You know, you got to have pretty strong electronic equipment to be able to talk to them. Right. Yeah. That's when they started telling me about that. They're, um, they're going to put, they're going to sail a Titanic too. I was like, just don't honestly, just don't sail the Titanic too. That just doesn't sound like something that I would get on, but something that you should just sail just cause it's bound to fail. Let's uh, let's let somebody else take that chance. Yeah. <laughs> 
let's see let's see what the results are and let's just you know somebody yeah. no doubt some teenage girl in her first year university is going to take her selfie and 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 videotape it and what have you and you know wait till it's going five years mm -hmm. you know Let, let's see let's see how it does that's something I was thinking now nowadays, like if there's a plane crash or if there's like a, a like a like a big situation like the Titanic, somebody would be streaming it. We'd get to watch it probably. There'd be some media service that's that uh is recording this catastrophe. But then there was the one, was it not that long ago? Is it is it the Philippines where the plane went down and it just disappeared? They couldn't Malaysia, find it. I think. Malaysia. Yeah. That was it. Malaysian. And they eventually did find it, but it was I mean the what people don't always understand is yes we've got technology yes we've got scientific breakthroughs yes we have advances in transportation the world is friggin huge mm -hmm. there are i mean to this day we're still finding things that i mean we in our lifetime we won't have known about like i mean if you believe in religion it could be a god plan if you believe in science it could be a scientific plan if you just believe in being an atheist but things are around there are stuff we just haven't got to and there's stuff out yeah. there that you can't explain. I mean, to think of the giant pandas that you go to see at the zoos and they travel yeah. around. They weren't discovered till the beginning of the 20th century. I did not know that. And they're not, they're not small animals. Like, they're big fucking yeah. panda bears. And they're like, I don't know how many pounds they are, 500-pound things. But because nobody had been to Africa, the deep remote part of the forest or what have you, they weren't found, <laughs> so now they or are they Asia? They're Asian. Uh, yeah, Asian. they're Asians. I think they're Asian. They nobody had gotten there, and when you think of like the coelacanth, yeah. the coelacanth fish that had been um, uh, dormant for thousands of years since the dinosaurs, and then all of a sudden these I, I don't know if they're Taiwanese, Asian. One of the Asian fishing trawlers brings this things up in his net, and it's a coelacanth, and it turns out there's a whole. Yeah. group of them so who knows i i like to think that if bigfoot does exist he's hiding from us because he doesn't want to talk to us yeah i you know what i'm really big in the cryptozoological for a long time like in high school and stuff i i sucked all that stuff in and you know the the sea creatures the bigfoot i don't know that there's necessarily a you know like a hearing the henderson's bigfoot out there but there might be uh, a strain of black bear you know there, there could be a strain of white bear or some kind of bear out there that we don't know about that's a variant of what's out there that just could be rec recluse you know just stays away yeah definitely there's i there i know for a fact there's animals out there that we haven't found because they are staying away because they don't want to be with other animals let alone humans and whether they or not they understand what humans are or something i know there's got to be especially especially in the ocean we i don't know what it is like seven percent of the ocean we've um we've discovered there's so many different species that we have no idea about i think to think about octopi or octopuses and and dolphin and how smart they are like there's got to be something inside of the ocean that is so wickedly smart that it could like not that it could compete with like humans itself but just like that we don't even understand it because we have no idea that it exists you know yeah like i don't i don't believe there's a plesiosaur out there or anything like that because yeah. i don't can't see that but who knows i mean you, you how many people have been down to mariana's trench you know like how deep is that you know like 
a handful of people can take the pressure and get down there, or even the, the structure of mechanisms to get down there. It, it, it's pretty tough. There's dark caves. They can have underground earthquakes. They can have so who knows? I mean, I, I, I don't think that there's a, a, a new blue whale out there or anything like that. But, I mean, there are, there are variants of sharks that they discover every year. I mean, there, there's variants of, of, of various, you know, single-celled organisms that are floating all over there. But we have no idea what's down there. So, you know what? It's dark. It's deep. I mean, I don't know how many miles down it goes, three miles or something down there. But there's all kinds of stuff down there in the water and the air i mean you go to the brazilian uh, rainforest i mean they they're discovering new types of frogs and birds and whatever so i think it's crazy that they like they're cutting down like the way that they're cutting down the trees to build like for agriculture and things like that and they're finding like remnants of old civilizations from inside the um brazilian rainforest that you're talking about i think that's crazy cuz like for a long time, people didn't think that there was like tribes that lived inside the Amazon rainforest. And now that we like, they're, they're finding ancient remnants of these ancient civilizations covered up by moss and grass and things like that. And that just blows my mind because it just changes the way we think about early humans. Like every year they're finding different things of what humans were. Like they just found the Artipithecus or whatever, not too long ago, which is like the earliest descendant of humans which is just wickedly wild because like he has long arms and long legs like a human but like it goes against everything that they thought old humans were yeah i i mean my mom took anthropology at university i took history as my degree in university there's all kinds of stuff out there that i mean there's whole civilizations i have no doubt we haven't discovered yet that had an impact on our planet I mean, we can't even understand some of the Aztec uh, uh, cave scratchings. We can't understand the quote-unquote caveman stuff. We're always interpreting things. There's got to be. I mean, every once in a while you find some really preserved dinosaur that was out in the Alberta tar sands that was under something or whatever, somewhere in Asia in some deep cave somewhere they're finding. It's going to be well beyond our lifetime. And I mean, I think it's going to be five or six generations and they still won't even know everything. I mean, there's no way they're going to know. No. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep discovering things until there are no more humans. I would think. Um, is this part of the, is this part of the recording or is this just us rambling? No, it's just part of the recording. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Okay. <laughs> Cause I was yeah. waiting for an introduction and stuff. <laughs> no. Yeah. This is this. Well, the introduction that I usually do is just like, Hey, you know, um, introduce yourself. Tell me about your podcast. Um, go ahead. But this was even like, this is the stuff that I usually get into. It's usually just like this long conversation. Just rambling. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's cool. So you're going to probably cut and chop and edit it and make yeah. it however you want. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I have no problem with it. I haven't said anything I'm ashamed of yet. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners and talk about uh, the two podcasts that you co-host for. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Colin, for inviting me on. This was a great pleasure to be on. I found you on one of the chat groups, and I thought, I'm going to go in and give you guys a shout, because I love helping out new podcasters. Not that I'm not new. I've only been in the business, the business, two years. I'm a co-host of two podcasts, one called Land of the Creeps, a horror movie podcast, and another one called Phantom Galaxy, where we do horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, anything kind of in that realm. 
And my path to podcasting is quite interesting because for a lot of years, I wasn't into podcasting. I'm very late to the game. Maybe about 2015, 2016, I started actually listening to them. Because prior to that, I remember seeing one and you had to download it. And I was wary of getting viruses and that kind of crap. So I was like, no, 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 no. So about 2016, I've been a lifelong horror movie fan since my earliest ages, uh, days, days of watching the Universal Horror films. And so I was looking for horror podcasts. And I listened to a bunch and I came across one called the horror movie podcast, which is one of the gold standards in the industry, really big popular podcast. If you look it up, gentlemen and ladies, you'll find it with thousands of hits. And I started listening to it and listening to it. And every once in a while I'd emailed them in a suggestion or write on their message board, etc. And then they had a guest on one time. They, they were doing a, a series of episodes on, 80s slashers. I don't know about you, Colin, if you like an 80s slasher, but I love an 80s slasher. And uh, they had a guest on called Greg Morgan, Greg Amortis. And he started talking about his love of them too. And he was the co-host of a podcast called Land of the Creeps. And so then I kind of had listened to it already, but I took a deeper dive into it. And he's a really interesting guy and he had some really good co-hosts. And I started emailing him you know, my thoughts, my suggestions, my input, that sort of thing. And I would just do it from time to time when I had time. And eventually he got back to me and said, you know what? You seem to know so much and are so interested. Why don't you just come on the damn show and co-host with me? Because one of their co-hosts was away uh, and they needed to have somebody come in. And so myself and another podcaster called Greg Bench, we did a review of the best movies of 2018, horror movies. And I've been on ever since. So they couldn't get rid of me. So I'm on this podcast. And it's a really great podcast because we're on, you know, you, your podcast will be 45 minutes an hour, an hour 15 at the longest. We did one recently that was six hours where we examined the horror movies of Nordic Europe. So, or Scandinavian uh, countries. We are a minimum three and a half, usually four to five hours every second week it comes out and we go we deep dive every week every two weeks i'm watching about 25 hours worth of movies and so i lo i love to get deep, deep into them and it's not necessarily the ones everybody knows it's not just your friday the 13th and it's not just your uh halloweens although we love all those films we'll go we'll dive deep and deep and deep i like to try to find myself something I've never seen before so I can delve into it. And about, I don't know, eight months ago or so, our, our show was very interactive. We do giveaways, we have a phone line, we do all kinds of emails, that sort of thing. We give shout outs on Facebook and Twitter and every, all your social media platforms. Uh, we had a listener that kept calling in called uh, Nathan Bartlebaugh. And Nathan would give emails and he'd call in and he'd give some really good suggestions. And I friended him and we started chatting it up. And we got on pretty well. And eventually he asked me to co-host his podcast that he had had before and he had put to bed and he was relaunching after two years called The Phantom Galaxy. And so I was hesitant at first because I already had something going on. So I guest host with him. And then I decided, he asked me again, why don't you just be the permanent co-host as well? So I've been roped in twice to be a co-host of a podcast. And The Phantom Galaxy is fantastic. Nathan's a fantastic guy. 
And uh, we do science fiction, we do horror, we do fantasy, and we kind of do everything in between. Now, the one thing I never said about Land of the Creeps is the co-host. Greg Morgan, Greg Amortis is so laid back, so easygoing. We love men, we love women, we love anybody of all denomination, any age, you want to listen, come on and listen. And he'll, we'll invite you on to listen and be a part of the audience. My other co-host, co-host is somebody called Dave Becker. Dr. Shock. And if anybody out there wants to just listen to pure fun, Dave Becker can stream a story off about movies. He's an encyclopedia of knowledge of this man, not just horror movies, uh, movies of all genres. He loves Westerns. He loves dramas. He loves crime movies. Please. I'm not begging anybody to come listen because everybody is of their own free will and their free choice. But if you have any interest in, in, in horror movies, please check out Land of the Creeps because we will have you on. And if you have a little bit of a tinge towards the sci-fi side with horror and schlockiness, come to the Phantom Galaxy because Nathan and I will have a lot of fun with your input. So that's a little bit from me. I don't nice, know what you call yeah. um, So I, when I saw that you did a horror podcast, I was like, I need to talk to this guy. I, when I was little, so – I'm not, I'm not too old. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm in my, I'm 20. I'm about to be 21, but I'm young. Um, and, but when I was young, the first movies, I love horror movies. Um, my girlfriend doesn't let me watch them cause she's scared of them, but I love them. Like one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite, uh, movies when I was little, I can't remember when it came out. I think it was nine or eight or nine or 10. One of the, the but the, the newest Friday the 13th, I watched that. Um, and I wasn't supposed to technically, but I, I loved it. And then I got me back and I started watching all of the Friday the 13th. And so that, I would say that's my favorite horror like film series. Um, but then it got me into like, I don't know if you know, I'm sure you do know the movie Mirrors. Um, yep. Yeah, I love that movie. Donald, uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, yes. I just remember there's one scene that I was fascinated by where this girl's looking in the mirror and she just like basically rips her head apart. I love that scene. Um, so I've always been fascinated by horror movies. And then I started getting into more, not like thriller horror, but that kind of like that area, like 1408 with, uh, yep. Know. John Cusack. I've John reviewed Cusack, that. On the yeah. show. Yeah. We have an episode movie. on, we have an episode on trippy horror films and that was one of my picks. So how would you describe, what would you describe as a trip? Like besides that, what would you describe? Trippy, as a, trip? a trippy, we had Nathan Bartlebaugh was actually a co-host on that. We brought him in and it, we kind of leave it up. What I love about the horror genre is it's open to interpretation. So some people, a big debate is, do you consider Silence of the Lambs a horror film? Yay or nay? Like it, there's, there's elements of fantasy. There's elements of sci-fi. There's elements of action. There's elements of crime serials. There's elements of monsters. There's elements of nudity. There's elements of blood. If somebody says it's a horror, if, my definition is this. Is it scary to them? Then it's horrific. If it's a, a movie that makes you shudder a little bit, yeah. Like, I wouldn't say a movie like um, Scarface. You know, the, you know the scene in the shower with the chainsaw. That's as scary and bloody as you're going to find. I wouldn't call that a horror film. But if you want to argue with me that Silence of the Lambs is, yeah, absolutely, sure. Uh, I have an argument with my best friend, is Jaws a horror film? Yay or nay. You, and you can make a legitimate argument either way. He does not, I do. And that's the beauty of the genre. So for trippiness, I call it a trippy movie, uh, a sensory movie. Something that uses your senses and kind of takes you somewhere that a standard 
X to Y film doesn't. Uh, have you seen the film Midsommar? Mm-mm. Mid- the oh, two- I, know, but I heard about it. It's on Netflix, right? Uh, it might be on Netflix. It, it was a couple uh, last year, a big film, Ari Aster, like two and a half hour film. Some of the weirdest, trippiest stuff out there, but it's uh, really a story that's told and horrific things happen in the story. You want to argue that's a horror film? Great. If you don't want to, great. I respect your opinion. So a movie like Suspiria, the original, have you seen Suspiria? Suspiria, the uh, Dario Argento. I'm not a fan of it. I know it's blasphemous. People are going to tar and feather me, but I don't like the original Suspiria. But that's a movie that's trippy. It's of the senses. Uh, Jacob's Ladder. Have you seen Jacob's Ladder? Yeah. Yes. Again, trippy film. It's taking you back and forwards. Often, or, or the one that's most recent, a Mandy. Have you seen Mandy? No. With Nicolas Cage. Oh, I, th- I think I watched the trailer, though. I, I didn't watch yeah. it, though. Nicholas Cage is, I mean, you can do a whole uh, podcast just on Nicholas Cage, trippy, wacko films. But again, uh, to me, a trippy film is one that there might be drugs involved. It might be nightmares. It might be time travel. It might be, you know, uh, the soundtrack. Something that isn't just your straightforward narrative. And, I mean, I... If you go into the land of the creeps, which I hope you'll put into the uh, show notes, you can find it on there. It's about six months old and a fun episode. So yeah, we'll, we'll take any topic. I, I'm, I'm unique in the horror genre and I'll watch anything. You give me a fairy tale, you give me a fantasy, you give me a slasher. I love torture porn. Uh, give me Saw, give me Hostel. I've seen the August Underground. I've seen the Japanese guinea pig films. I can watch those. But then I can also really really love frankenstein from 1933 i can also love bride of frankenstein i can also watch abbott and costello meet frankenstein like give me anything anywhere i'll at least give it a shot the only one i won't watch and this is a pretty wide swath is there's a series of films called the vomit dolls i think it's called where it's these chicks get naked and throw up on each other. That's no, not my thing. But pretty much anything else I'll watch. <laughs> so a film series like Insidious or even Sinister or just those jump kind of scares, how would you describe those type of uh, movies? <sighs> if they're going for paranormal, that's one thing. I think a film that strictly relies on jump scares is cheap. I mean, anybody can have a dark theater and then you get a jump scare. And when done effectively, they're very good. But you can't rely on that as a horror trope to get your story forward. Uh, I think it needs a bit more than that. Because there's a lot of really low-budget, cheap ones, or even high-budget ones. Those insidious ones get a pretty decent budget. Uh, Lee Winnell and him. I'm not a huge fan of the jump scare unless it's done with a purpose and done effectively and not, you don't go back to the well every 10 minutes and do a jump scare. Like at a certain point, you're just like, whatever. So I, I, I am not the biggest fan of paranormal films, but when a paranormal film is done well, it's done really effectively. The problem is there's so much schlock out there. You got to dig through a hundred of them to find two good ones. So with a movie like, um, did you see Fractured? Um, Fracture, Fractured. I can't remember who is the, the main star, but basically his family is driving to um, driving to their family house for Christmas, and then they go to the hospital and they lose the daughter. Have you seen that movie? Uh, I may have. 
In the last year, I've seen 489 movies. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, I, I have seen it. Now, I, I have this uh, app. Anybody should get this app called Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. And Letterboxd is where you can track your movies. You can watch reviews or whatever. In the last two years, I think I'm, it's, I'm close to 900 movies. So every once in a while, they kind of slipped. Now, now, they're not all horror. Yeah. But 90% of them are. 90% of them are, yeah. So, but like the more thriller type of movies, could not, could you still classify those as horror? Because you said you could. But what is the fine, like, where is the line drawn between thriller, drama, and horror? Or is it subjective, you know? I think it's very subjective. I think it's up to the uh, viewer. My thing is this. Does it stick with you? Does it scare you? Is it a horrific situation? But there is a line where this is just drama that's a little chilling as opposed to a horror film. I just recently did a podcast appearance on a podcast called The Undead Wookiee with Hugh Lloyd. Check it out. It's pretty good. And we did a movie called Ten Rillington Place. Have you heard of Ten Rillington Place? Ten Rillington Place was about a crime that happened in England in the 1950s where in world, just after World War II, so, uh, there was an older man in London in a row house in a poor part of London that would take women, do backdoor abortions, and kill them. And it was a real-life story where somebody else got the blame, and they got hung, and they changed the British legal system. They pretty much, not long thereafter, stopped committing the death penalty because he was killed, and the wrong person was hung. And it's ominous it's scary it's spooky it's dark it's deep i love the film but then you get to argue is that a horror film is silence of the lambs a horror film is henry portrait of a serial killer a horror film uh then you get into the you know i i I watched the recent one with zach efron about ted bundy is that a horror film my, my blanket answer is yes you could argue either way. Um, there are some people that will say, no, 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 it's a crime film. All right, fine. Uh, but a crime film could also be a film about a, a bank robbery. That's also a crime film. Uh, a crime film could be The Godfather. Now, The Godfather is not horror. So there are fine lines out there that people won't cross over. And I get it. I respect it. That's your thing. Just don't piss on my lawn if I consider it horror. You know, <laughs> we each have our own things. I have certain areas of horror that I love. My go-to is always, if I don't know what to watch, I can always go to a giallo. You know what a giallo film is? A giallo is a, a, a Italian horror or an Italian film from the mid-60s to the early 80s. It's a crime film. It's almost an Agatha Christie type film where there's always a man in black who's the killer with dark boots, black gloves, usually has an overcoat, and you don't see the killer revealed until the end. And there's lots of very red blood. There's usually sexuality and nudity. There's usually uh, a killing for a reason that we're made aware of at the beginning, but we just don't know who did it. Mm -hmm. And we have to figure out. So it becomes a cat and mouse kind of until the end. Some of them are done really well, and some of them are done pretty sleazy and pretty cheesy. I love those Giallo films. Guys like uh, Fulci, Dario Argento, Sergio Martino, 
look those guys up. So I can always watch them. And the other ones I love are the Hammer films. Are you familiar with Hammer Studios? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I've definitely that's familiar with me. What are Hammer? Studios yeah, exactly. Hammer. Well, the Hammer Studios was a a, a studio out of England mm -hmm. that did f films from the oh, probably from the forties up until the mid seventies. Okay. And while they did other genres of film, their big claim to fame is the horror films of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. They did the remake of Dracula, the horror of Dracula. Did Christopher Lee did Frankenstein and. Uh, he, they did uh, a lot of those, and and they were really gothic. They were always uh, very. Uh, the scene was beautiful. It was old. It was usually 17th and 18th and 19th centuries. They used castles. Uh, they were known for blood. They were known for beautifully shot, and they were known for TNA. And that's what you want. And and just zany kills, outrageous stuff. Like there was one with Peter Cushing where he dealt with the seven vampire samurais or something. Like there's all kinds of those are the ones that I enjoy. The Hammer films are great, um, but I can watch anything. So back to what you said about the um, like the Zac Efron uh, Ted Bundy movie. I think what someone could consider a horror movie is if it incites fear in others through like without showing um the horrific uh nudity or like the um gore but more like if it incites uh the fear inside of the watcher so like by knowing that he is a serial killer and that he murdered all these people and by be, like keeping it like honestly in your own imagination i think that could also be considered horror you know what i mean i think like if you scare the person at all even through their own imagination you could consider that horror you know absolutely and with a ted bundy type situation or i remember as a a 12 year old or whatever they had one with brian dennehy where he portrayed john wayne gacy as the clown and dennehy's a fantastic actor and both same kind of thing it, i think it kind of depends on how it's portrayed if it's done in a way where it's strictly a courtroom drama and you're reading through the uh, transcripts and people are just acting that out, you could argue that's nothing but a drama with a horrific slant to it. But if you're actually going back and getting into the character analysis, if they show the crimes, if they get into with the motivation, if there's some cringeworthy kind of stuff, then it goes into that horror realm. Um, like I wouldn't argue, uh, some of the, uh, the trials of the Nazis, even though it's horrific, I wouldn't consider that horror. But if you showed a film demonstrating Mengele's experiments, yeah, I would call that horror. So there's that, you know, it's all about context. It's about how it's portrayed. It's about what's being shown, you know? I think some of the best movies or some of the scariest movies are movies that are all right, not based on real events, but like, like you said, like the Mangala experiments, that would be horrific. Or the, uh, I know there was a gang of um, Japanese troops in World War II that did some horrific things um, where they like, they would like freeze arms and then pour hot water on it. They were trying to. Have you seen men behind the sun? Uh, -uh. uh that's, if you're talking about that kind of stuff, it's over the top silly. And I don't think it's based on reality, but I think there's a, just a twinge mm -hmm. of reality that's used. Men, men behind the sun, check that out. Are you a believer in ghosts? I'm a believer 
not necessarily in, you know, Casper kind of ghost or in, you know, uh, a Christmas Carol kind of ghost or, you know, that I don't think I'm a big believer in spirits. I do believe there's spirits out there. I do believe that there are even you quote unquote angels that there to touch people in many different ways. I do believe that there are spirits there that are meant to tell people things or to have certain things done to help further a certain cause. But I don't think that there's poltergeist ghosts such as, you know, I don't think there's anything out here that and I'm sitting in my basement. I don't think there's one that's going to rattle the lights above me and make mm -hmm. me crap my pants. I don't, I don't think that, but I do think there are spirits that are put on this earth for a reason that, have a purpose and they might not be here forever they might just be for one particular reason or they might just be to kind of guide over people so that's kind of how i go yeah because i i was wondering if you believed like is there an energy that could haunt a certain place like do you believe in haunted buildings like not from maybe from a person who died but just from like an energy um like the exact opposite of the angel being here for a purpose do you believe that places could be haunted by certain energies i think they probably could be for a specific amount of time i don't necessarily believe that there's that haunted house that's going to be haunted for 500 years i my personal belief is ghosts or spirits or apparitions or however you want to call them are there for a specific reason I mean, I don't know that there's this, the old adage of, oh, it's a soul that never made it to heaven, so he's just here to cause havoc forever. I, I think that's a bunch of rubbish. But I do believe that there are evil spirits that may need to be put into place, and that's where people that have that skill to do what they do. Because I've interviewed people that do that for a living, and they genuinely believe they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's not ghost hunters, but spirit like getting spirits out of places that's an interesting one because not only do humans have this fascination with the creepy and the horror and like that's why we love horror films but it's like there's something we have with the like a relationship with the mystical or like things that are beyond us like not only like it goes back to what we were talking about bigfoot and those uh the the crypto animals like like the Loch Ness monster, we humans have a fascination with things that are scary and things that they do because we don't understand them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get it. And let's let's be honest. People want to know what they don't know, and there's a lot there's a lot more in this world that we don't know than that we do know. And anybody that tell you differently is talking out of the wrong side of their mouth because we need to know. And, and just by I, I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if you're not. Everybody has a, a desire to want to know more. And that push to know more, you know, maybe it's you want to know more about math. Maybe you want to know more about science. Maybe you want to know about, I don't know, knitting or whatever. You just always want to know more about something. And so it leads people. I mean, that's what drives science. They need to know and to help to improve. I mean, Oppenheimer wasn't a bad guy. He thought he was furthering science. Yeah. You know, uh, the guy that dropped the atomic bomb was doing it because it was out of orders mm -hmm. from the military because science told them to do I mean, people want to know. I mean, you talk, you go back to Darwin and you go back to Einstein. And I mean, the people working right now at this moment, w coming up with COVID things, they're doing it because they want to know and they want to help. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just human nature. 
Where do you think this fascination of horror comes from, though? Besides the fact that we are like we do want to know, where do you think the fascination with horror comes from, and and things that are fearful? I'll tell you from my personal point of view. Why do I love horror? I friggin' love to be scared. There's a certain adrenaline rush you get. There's a certain feeling in the back of your neck and the hair stands up and, and above your head, you start to feel it. And you can, I love that. Feeling. You know, you see those memes on Facebook and the social platform saying, what kind of freako watches a horror film at night in the dark by yourself? Me, that's me. I want to see it. My problem is, is I'm so jaded because I honestly haven't had a horror movie scare me this millennium. I, I, I haven't had it because I've seen so many of them that nothing has gotten to me. I have the ones that the moments have shocked me. I've had moments where they're cringeworthy, but I haven't had one where at the end of the day, I wouldn't go upstairs and take a shower in the dark. Right? Like I will watch some sort of gruesome horror film, then go down in my basement and fix my furnace. I don't, I don't care. Like, Give it to me straight. I, I can walk through any of the haunted houses and whatever. I don't know that I'd ever go through McKamey Mansion or McKamey Manor. I don't know if you know that one. It's the guy down in, um, oh, he used to be in San Diego, but I think he's in Virginia or something now where he's, he sets up a haunted house in his room where he, you sign up for basically like, I don't know, six hours of torture. And you, you don't have to pay for it. I think all he asks for is dog food uh, donations. And anybody up there, look up McKamey Manor, and you're, you're, nobody has ever gotten through it. Nobody. Like, they physically water torture you. They tie you up. They make you eat disgusting things. That's not my bag. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to be humiliated and almost drowned. But I think people want to be scared in their hearts they want to feel that adrenaline rush going through them i think they like the hair standing up i think they like the or or on the other side they like the thought of other things being out there mm -hmm. like we were talking about they like the thought of there actually being ghosts they like the thought of there actually being spirits and this kind of i wouldn't say says that there is but it you know makes them open to the possibility yeah I, I mean there's a certain segment of society that wants no part of them and i get it could be for religious reasons could be they don't want the blood could be they they get nightmares could be they don't want to be scared at all could be they've gone through some traumatic events and they just don't want any reminder of it mm -hmm. i'm completely get that and anybody that says they don't like it hey that's don't crap on me for liking it i don't crap on you for not liking it everybody yeah, has definitely. their own everybody has their own deal but i think it's intrinsic human nature i mean you have a desire to, there's certain inherent things in humans, to eat, to feel loved, to procreate, and to be scared. And that's one of them. And you're going to be scared regardless. Some people just want it, and some people don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm that kind of guy that when I get my give blood, I watch the needle go in. I sit and I will, I literally will say, okay, let's see it, you know, it doesn't oh, no. bother me. No. I like horror. I can't do that stuff. I hate needles. Um, my my girlfriend's mom does IVs, okay. and so she uh, every time I'm like like if I get in a cold or something, she's like, "Oh hey, um, 
you, let me give you an IV. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't watch anything go in my arm and my vein. I can't do that stuff. You're, you're that guy that looks away, then gets the juice and cookie and sits on the couch. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but I love being I, scared. I do. I, 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 I literally love it. Like it's, it's a type of high. It's a different type of high than say from sexual activity. It's a different type of high from getting married. It's a type of different high than holding your hands with your girlfriend or whatever. It's just an adrenaline rush. It's no different than I think the people that love spicy peppers. You get that rush or people that love going on the roller coasters and they go on, you know, super G loop de loops and stuff. It's the same kind of thing. I love my peppers. I can't stand roller coasters. It, everybody gets it a different way. I remember yeah. going on um, Magic Mountain when I was a kid at Disney World, and I closed my eyes the whole time when it went around. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just not my thing. But everybody gets their adrenaline rush yeah. in some way. Um, yeah, roller coasters are a weird one because I like roller coasters, but I hate being like ill. You know, and so some roller coasters, like, they make me woozy. And I'm just like, that's what I don't like. I like the feeling, the adrenaline rush of roller coasters. Like the one at the Matterhorn at, uh, I don't know if you know what that is. It's at I've Disneyland. heard of it. It's the big mountain at Disneyland. And it's like you go through and there's like Yetis and things like that. I love that one. I love Space Mountain. They turned it into a Star Wars thing, but it used to be basically like this really dark, like inside roller coaster. You listen to Rock, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Love that one. I just hate being. Well, I, 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 I was there in the mid '80s, so it was probably Wham or something like that. Yeah, Motley Crue, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely. I I do think it is that the fear, though. Back to what we were talking about. I do think it is yep. that humans humans do it is an intrinsic thing that humans like not necessarily they want but it's like a feeling that we've always had through evolution everything like you said to uh procreate to find love to be together socially together with other people and we like to stay alive so fear is one of the things we just are so naturally inclined to and so to be afraid and not have your life uh like dangered i think that is a fascination of humans like to be so scared to the point where um let's say you crap your pants, but uh, know that you can, you're still going to be alive at the end of the day. I think that is where the line goes. Cause no one, I mean, there are some people, I don't want me to shit on you. If you are like this, no one, when they're afraid of, for their life or their family's life, no one wants that, but they want to be afraid where they're safe, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the part of it is adrenaline rush. Part of it is fear is healthy in small doses. You need a bit of fear for, if you have a family, you want to make sure that they're protected. Uh, for self-preservation, a bit of fear is good. I mean, you can go back to Machiavellian theory, you know, of war and that kind of stuff. A little bit of fear is good, but you can't live in fear. And, and that's kind of where we're kind of seeing with the COVID and people being inside and you get the higher bouts of depression and things. A lot of it is fear that's now come out. It was maybe sitting dormant for a while. And so then there's, ha there's healthy fear and there's unhealthy fear. And it's kind of like, if, I don't know if you've ever seen those YouTube videos where, the, where it's usually girls, but it's also guys. They go on the roller coasters or the ones that go up and down in high uh, amounts. And, and the look on their face looks, one, orgasmic, but also uh, thrilling. And it's the adrenaline rush. Like, like, however you, or the people, I just watched the show on Netflix. Uh, you can find it. I forget. It's this, a series of five or six where they go over weird sports. There's one about hair cutting. There's one about uh, frog jumping. There's, 
but there's one about people that eat the chili peppers, the hottest of the hottest. And you can just see their faces red and it's their nose is dripping, the sweat is coming out, men and women, but it's an adrenaline rush. They love it and they want it and that's how they do their thing. People do it in other ways. They go running, uh, they work out, uh, they have sexual activity, they listen to music, Maybe they're big on their work. Their work is their big drive, and that gives them a rush to do a presentation in front of the boss or whatever. Everybody gets it somehow. This is just, I find, as long as you take it in perspective, a safe outlet for that adrenaline rush. So I just remembered a question I had for you earlier sure. before when we were just rambling. We were talking about basically the evolution, not really the evolution of humans, but how like we don't things we don't understand – and I wanted to ask you, do you think, because there is a big push right now saying that the development of the human and like the first people to think came from uh, psychedelics. Are you a believer of that? Uh, sorry, what's the theory? So it's the stone to ape theory. So basically that uh, when humans, basically when we were uh, evolving uh, and when we, when we came down for trees we were walking across the Sahara and they would eat magic mushrooms and it connected more things in the brain and that's basically what caused consciousness are you a believer in that or do you think I've, it was just going to happen I, I've, I've never heard of that I'm going to have to look into that I've, I, I had some magic mushrooms about 20 years ago it's been that long so by the time when you were coming out of mama I was <laughs> tripping out <laughs> um, I don't know do they say that because of the synapses going off in their brain and uh, because of it, it gave you a higher enlightenment that perhaps it set man off in a certain path that it might not have yeah. gotten to otherwise? Yeah, that's what I, I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. I'd have to really give that some thought. Maybe I'm going to have to get some munchies and do my yeah. own experimentation. I don't know. That, that is yeah. good. I, I, I don't know because the thing with ancient man is there's so many theories, but we're never really going to know. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, something will be in vogue for five years. And then, you know, once upon a time, they thought it was a meteorite from the earth, uh, from the sky. Like, who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who does know? No one will ever know. Like you said, no one's going to know. It's just cool to like have people just like think up these, these, uh, these ways it could have happened, these theories. Um, I, I do think it is wild how ancient humans or, not necessarily ancient, but like the Amazonians and uh, the Aztecs and the um, Native Americans and like all these different like older older um, humans. They had their own different types of psychedelics in their in their own um, like tribes and like how to how to like do things in a certain way, like peyote and uh, I can't remember the Aztec one, but also the the really crazy one is ayahuasca with the amazonians because it comes from two plants that are nowhere near each other in the amazon that have to be brewed together to create one this uh experience is transformative spiritual experience so i do think it is weird that all throughout society or all throughout human history they've had we've had this inclination to things that bring us into another realm you know and that goes along with this horror and this um even music playing games just the way that humans act and things the fascination of like we said things we don't understand we just want to know and all these things we really tap into this realm like when you're in the game like say i, I play football when i'm right there when i'm feeling it i'm in an, i'm in the zone almost or uh, when i'm when you're really scared you're in that moment in that movie or when you're um i mean i you, i've never had any psychedelic experience but i'm guessing when you take a psychedelic you're in the, that zone so i think it is this fascination to 
the spiritual realm, you know? I mean, the other tie-in to horror is that we haven't really touched upon is one of the appeals to it is it takes you away to another place. It gives you a fantastic uh, spot in your brain for an hour and a half to two hours, you know, and as does, you know, some quote, unquote think that psychedelics do or maybe a good song or a good story does it just takes you away and so you can forget about your world fears maybe you've got financial issues or or family issues or work issues or whatever watch a movie it doesn't have to be horror it could be any movie it just takes you away for that hour and a half and I think that's one of the appeals to horror and or any other genre science fiction or fantasy or uh, any other drama, comedy, uh, country and Western romance, whatever. It gives you a place away from reality for 90 minutes, 120 minutes, 180 minutes. So I think there is a definite tie-in to all of that. Do you play for a Pacific University football team? Yeah, I do. Yeah? What, what position are you? I'm actually the punter. Oh, you're the punter. Yeah. So you're the, guy that, you're the guy that everybody just kind of leaves to themselves. They Basically. Kick- they kick in the back 40 and then yeah. every once in a while the coach will say, okay, let's get a better hang time. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's a, it's a, it's a weird position to play. It's, um, it's fun though, because it's like, it, like I, I told you with this, it's like a different sport inside of a sport. Um, so that's why I, I love doing that. Now, like, do, you, do you hang, do you hang out with the place kicker or oh, is that another entirely different no, we all hang out. We all hang out. The me, the place kicker. Uh, the holder. Yeah. Well, I'm the holder, I would say. Oh, okay. uh, and then the long snapper, too. We all, we all hang yeah. out together. That's cool. Yeah, because uh, I've been a, a lifelong sports fan my whole life. Mm-hmm. Any sport, anything that you, you, there's a score counted on, I'll watch. And I've been a Green Bay Packer fan since 19, 1982. Like, my dad liked them. I liked them. And so their current punter is J.K. Scott. Mm-hmm. And he's known for, I guess, his high, uh, his high kicks, but they aren't necessarily hanging as long as they should be. So I guess that's yeah. something you got to work on. I wasn't going to say this because it's my first time meeting you, but our family's Vikings fans. So I was looking at Oh, and was- oh. And, and you couldn't beat the goddamn Sea Hags. Yeah, I know. On the weekend. That would have helped out Green Bay a whole heck of a lot. As long as we don't help out Green Bay, I'm okay with it. <laughs> But I do have Dalvin Scott on a couple of my fantasy teams, and, and he had a fantastic. Phenomenal. He is. I. He's. I mean, he's no. I won't. I will never compare him to Adrian Pearson. Adrian Pearson's my favorite football player of all time. But Dalvin Cook is phenomenal, and the, and our rookie Justin Jefferson too. He's had a really yeah. good year. Yeah, but uh, Kirk Cousins, I wouldn't hold my. Like he's good, but he's only good. Like he's kind of like Andy Dalton was in his yeah. prime. Only good to a certain level, but he's he's not getting you to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I he's had a really good year, but I think I don't think he's it for us. I think he's he we need that quarterback to get us over the hump, you know. And the problem with Minnesota right now is they'll probably finish something like seven and nine, eight and eight. So they're in the middle of the draft, so they're not going to get that high impact yeah. uh, quarterback. So you got to try to find somebody in the third and fourth round, like a Jalen Hurts, to work it. Yeah, because Jalen Hurts, I don't think was drafted till the third round. I don't think. No, yeah, Jalen Hurts is phenomenal. I I was watching his game against Carol, not Carolina, Arizona, um, last week, and he him and Kyler Murray went 
pound for pound, basically, like four touchdowns each. Like, it was phenomenal. I was like, I was a big uh, Jalen Hurts fan when he was at Alabama. Um, and then he transferred to Oklahoma, and I was still, because I, I wanted him to work out. And so now the fact that he's starting in the NFL, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I, I honestly think that uh, Wentz will be moved. Yeah. The only thing preventing it is he's got a big salary. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a team that has the room. Yeah. And the only team I know of off the top of my head that could manage his salary are the Jets. And the Jets have to make a decision on Darnold, or if the Jets finish third, do they take a guy like Josh Fields or Kyle Trask? Yeah. I or think- do they or do they stick with what they got? I think the uh, Jets are going to draft uh, which, uh, Justin Fields, like you said. And then I think, I think Carson Wentz is going to the Patriots. But that's just my thing. Yeah, they've got they do have the space and um selfishly I'm in a, a very large uh foot, foot, football fantasy where it's a dynasty and I drafted Jalen Hurts in the 19th round last year. So I can keep him for a while. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. Yeah. Now now let me say as a punter, who is your favorite punter or your punting hero in the league? I know the guy I know the guy that kicks for the Titans has a big following. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I have actually, I did all the kicks, so I can still do it. I just, that's like where I like my main one. So I can do field goals and everything. So growing up, when, when I was in high school, I, uh, I was, um, I, I loved field goals and everything like that. It's just now I'm a punter. My pu- favorite punter of all time is Pat McAfee. Don't know if you know who that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. He interviews Aaron Rodgers every week. Yeah. Um, and, but playing right now, um, my favorite punter right now, uh, always, you could always go Thomas Morstead of the, um, Saints. Um, I did like Marquette King for a while. Obviously he's not in the league anymore, but I would say right now, favorite punter, Johnny Hecker of the Rams. I was just going to bring up Hecker. He's got, he's got a, a really good leg on him. Yeah. He can, and he can do things with the, um, now there's a couple guys like this. Sam Cook of the Ravens can do this too. There's a, Johnny Hecker can do whatever he wants with the ball. Like he, he can like, there's certain ways you drop it. If you're a punter, if you, you usually drop it flat and you get the tight spiral, but um, Johnny Hecker can drop it basically sideways. You get that banana ball and it will go out. Um, it, will, it can just like spiral out um, to the right. Cause he's a right footed. Uh, he hits the coffin corners where it bounces like on the one and it hops up so that you don't get no fair catch. He hits the super high ones, the line drives, like he can do whatever he wants with the ball. So just to be able to do that, that's was just like, that's where I look up to be because if one day I want to be able to hit a ball, like instead of just hitting the tight spiral, getting the, getting the hang time, getting a fair catch, which is what you really want um, in college, I want to be able to do whatever I want with the ball, you know? But I always wonder, like, if you were fortunate enough to get a free agent tryout somewhere in three years, because really nobody – I mean, what, does one punter get drafted a year? Everybody's a free agent. If that, uh, yeah, one. If that. Um, what would it be like, you know, as opposed to kicking in San Fran, or Green Bay, Buffalo, Chicago. Like, do you have to have a certain mindset to kick, to manage the wind, the weather, the crowd versus in in a dome? You're going to Atlanta. Um, so <clears throat> t- this actually ties in with fear, I guess you could say. Uh, it really yep. depends on uh, the type of type of person you are and the type of kicker you are. Like, I mean. You, d- you never really think about it. Like the one thing I hate is I hate kicking in, like I live in Oregon and I hate kicking in the rain because the ball gets all soggy and wet. Um, but usually I would say you do have to, when your feet get cold, um, 
it's a different type of where you hit the ball. You got to keep you got to keep moving and everything. But I would I would think because they're all heaters on the sidelines and things like that, it's mainly it's mainly about just staying true and and having good form over everything. Because once you're at that level, um, it's really only about um, like because you're like so like your your fractions of a fraction of a fraction off is a bad hit for those guys, you know. Um, so once you're at that level, like. It's really just about staying true. I would say some guys are more fearful of the wind and the weather, but also I would say some guys are just, you know, just nice and easy. It's really about who you are. Me, I'd probably just try to keep it the same every time. Now, if there, like, you know, if there's wind in the face, you drop it a little lower and stuff like that. But like, really, nothing changes, especially not for field goal. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give a challenge to you. Okay. It's the only kicker at a, a high level that I know of. I want you to bring back the barefooted kicker. You watch those, and I remember growing up in the 80s and even into the 90s, the guys coming out, and they would come out in New England. They would come out in Green Bay. Jan Stenerud for the Vikings and the Packers used to kick. Mm. You come out there, and I don't know what it was, maybe because you got a better feel for the leather, skin on skin, and they would, you know, take off the sock. It could be minus 20 degrees. And they're kicking the field goal. Like, I don't know understand. Why was that? Why did that stop? Why did that begin? Yeah, What's I, the advantage to that? I know why it started and why it, and but why it stopped too. Um, why it started was because the cleats are so bulky back in the day. They all had the same type of cleats, and so you couldn't really feel it. Like you said, skin on skin, they have a better. Nowadays, we have bamboo leather soccer cleats, which is basically skin on skin, but even better because you're wearing a like a shoe, you know. So that's why it stopped. I don't. I if I was kicking in the NFL in the eighties and nineties, I would not have gone barefoot in minus 20 degrees. I, I, I don't know how those guys did it and didn't ruin their feet, but that's why it happened is they got a better feel for the, the ball basically. Um, but nowadays we have that really, really, really nice bamboo leather soccer cleats that are basically not even shoes. They're so thin. They're like millimeters, thin leather kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, and basically the part of the bone you hit, um, uh, the football with is that I know you know if you feel your foot that one really hard bone like kind of in the middle yeah um almost like right uh, if you go right down your big toe and you go down it's like that big bone right there that's where you hit the ball every single time it just flies off so for I'm guessing for their minds it could just have them like they could hit that every time but nowadays you look at Harrison Butker um uh, Matt Mason Crosby on the Packers uh Dan Bailey on the Vikings, any of them, they're all wearing these really, really, really thin cleats um, because it's so – you can feel it, but you also, like, don't need to be cold feet, you know? So so to bring this to horror, the, the what would – the fear of watching a woman get her head chopped off by a serial killer versus 50,000 people, you got a 48-yard field goal with the game on the line. What is going in your head – when that is possibly occurring? Is it the same type of fear or is it a different type of fear? You know, I wouldn't say it's fear at all. Um, Cause you're almost like blacked out in a, in a sense, at least I, I would be like, so what I, what I always say is like when I was in high school, I've never had a game game winning kick in um, college. I've, I've only had just kicks like in the middle of the game. But when I was in high school, I had this, I was going to hit like, I have to hit like a 55 yard field goal to win the game. And I remember warming up. So I'm warming up in my net and you're basically like tunnel visioned in. So, I mean, there's a little bit of fear, but you're not really feeling it. You're just feeling the adrenaline. You're just in the zone. Um, and then when you run out on the field, um, 
and this is in any like game tying. I've never had a game winning kick. I've had some game tying ones, but basically you you're there for the moment. You have tunnel vision, and then as soon as you get back, right before you're about to like take your steps and go, you black out, and and then you don't remember anything until after you look up, and then you and then. Like, is it possible that kickers can psych themselves out before they even get up to the? Oh yeah, hash oh, mark. Yeah. Like they're already they're worried about their mom watching. They're worried oh, about yeah. their, their coach yelling at them. They're worried about I have to make this for a paycheck. You know, like they're yeah. they got it's oh, yeah. playing with their head before they even kick it. That's why I say kicking is like a different sport because it's all between the ears. Because um, any not anyone can kick a ball, but if you're if you're a foot athlete, like if you most kickers in the NFL have translated from soccer, um, and if you're like coordinated with your feet. Um, and you get really good at it. It's like a golf swing. Um, you're gonna and you're at that level. You're gonna you can be perfect. But if you're messing up here, that's where you lose it all. Um, like I, Dan Bailey, two weeks ago, we lost to the. I can't remember if it was the Bears or some. We lost. I think it was to the Bears because Dan Bailey missed. He left ten points off the board because he was just in his head. So it is absolutely true that you're the one who messes you up. Um, Insects yourself out. Now, obviously, you can just miss a kick, and that has nothing to do with your head. You just missed. You hit it bad. But totally, kickers can psych themselves out. Um, I've been in certain situations where I'm not hitting the ball right, and I'm almost about to psych myself out. Thankfully, I've never had a super bad day, but I, I know exactly how that feels. So, yes, for sure, kickers can psych themselves out. Like as a punter, have you shanked a kick and it went 17 yards and you just walk to the sideline with your head down and people leave you alone or they give you shit? Uh, if it's one kick, usually it uh, depends on the coach, obviously, but some people are like mad. Some people are good. Uh, most people are just like, what the hell? Um, I had this one kick in high school. Um, I've never really shanked one in college, but I, I, I had this kick in um, high school where I we did the rollout. So it's like the rugby style and I hit it and it hit my, like the people who were blocking for me's helmet it went straight in the air i went like 12 yards after hitting him in the head so um they might as well have gone for it on fourth down yeah um so yeah you get shit but like most of the time it's like i mean i can't speak for the nfl but most of the time it's like hey what the hell happened and then you just fix it on the next one well because i mean in the grand scheme of things you're gonna mess nobody's perfect you're gonna mess up yeah and that's a, that's a weird thing about the NFL is, like, some guys don't get a second chance. Like, all right, you're a quarterback, you're a starting quarterback, you throw three interceptions. That's a horrible day, but you're going to start next week. Um, now, if you do that again, you're probably not start next year, but you're going to start next week. Um, you're a kicker, though, and you you miss three kicks, you're probably out of there, especially if oh, you're not like name? The, the old Viking kicker, Carlson. Had yeah. a game like he's very inconsistent. I don't know how he has a job in the NFL because he can look all world one week and then miss go over four. Yeah. The next week, and I'm like, how does this guy have a job? Yeah, it's see, that's what, that's another thing. Like, but like Dan Bailey, because he's a seasoned vet, he was like the sixth most accurate kicker of all time. Missed those kicks, came back the next week, made all his kicks, and he has a job. But like, if you're a new guy in the league. Like you said, the Vikings cut him. Um, he's on the Raiders because he found love with the Las Vegas. Um, but, um, yeah, it, if you're a kicker and you're new and you mess up one, especially two games, you're, you're out of there. Probably never going to have a job again. Well, well think of, uh, think of uh, Martin Gramatica. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was all world for two years, and then but he was celebrating. He pulled his hammy, uh, and I don't think he ever got a job back. Like, he just – out of the league within two years. 
it, it can happen. The old kicker Blair Walsh had that one kick yep. against Seattle, and he never was the same. Um, he uh, they didn't cut him right after that, but he came back next year and he just couldn't bounce back from it. Um, and so they cut him, and now he's not in the league because of that one kick, really. So who's the guy from the Bears? The double doink. doink oh, doink. Cody Parkey. Yeah. And he's is on the he Browns still in the now, league? Though. Yeah, he's on the Browns. Yeah. So he he's bounced like, back. But and most kickers, to be honest, there's nobody. It's very rare a kicker kicks for anybody for more than about six or seven years. They yeah. move around. That's part of the job, right? Yeah. Well, it's but, it's part of the job because no one wants to – like, obviously, you're going to pay Justin Tucker if you have Justin Tucker because he's so phenomenal. But um, most people don't want to pay a kicker more than, well, I don't know, what, five million for four years? Like, you don't want to pay your – like, why are you oh, – oh, oh. Using your perspective, what happened to Janikowski? He went from being all world to being messed in the head. Um, I think a big thing in Janikowski is he was – not was he – not only was he getting older, but he was so, like, not in the greatest shape. Like, Adam Vinatieri, greatest kicker of all time, uh, one of my heroes, he was still in shape, you know, and, and he could play until he's 46 because you can do that. Janikowski was always had a belly on him, always was a bigger guy. So I think once you get to the end of your 40s, I think he was late 30s, early 40s when he stopped kicking, It you can't do it if you're, like, he was all power, no really – not. I mean, not that he didn't have any skill. He took two steps. His form was ridiculous. And he was all power, great kicker. But I think it was just more that he didn't stay in shape. You know, I think he was more just once you get older, if you're not keeping up with your body, um, it just kicking so bad for you. Like it's so bad for it's like almost like pitching and uh, with your arm. And and even even Vinatieri, uh, I mean, you can't fight Father Time. He hit a wall. Yeah. And I mean, he I, I he's not in the league this year. I think he's done. No, because he's he hit a. He, he, after last year, I think he recognized that I just, you know, it's a grind. I don't care what anybody says at any professional level. It's a grind. And at 45, he could be at home. I mean, his kids are probably growing up. He could probably just enjoy being a man, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, husband, whatever. You know? I actually know. So his nephews, um, so I'm from Las Vegas and my coach, Nolan Cohorst, uh, I just had him on the podcast not too long ago, but he is a, he, um, he, he works for like this kicking company or he like is like the head of the is champions of Vegas kicking. And he works with uh, Joe Vinatieri and Bo Vinatieri who are his Vinatieri's nephews. So I get to watch Adam Vinatieri's nephews kick every once in a while. Oh, cool. Yeah. So now you have to make that connection and bring on Adam. <laughs> if I could do that, man, you have Pat McAfee on too. <laughs> you, get the, you get the hits of the hits of the hits. Yeah. <laughs> So, so here I want to ask you before we close up or anything. Mm. What is your all-time two or three horror movies? I was going to ask you this exactly right now. So this is oh, were you okay? Yeah. Good. Um, all-time two or three favorite horror movies. All right, I'm going to go number one. The last Friday the Thirteenth they made for sure because I was like the first. Oh, one. Uh, now of the reboots or the original series. Like we're talking Jason takes Manhattan or, or J Jason, you know, in space, <laughs> Jason X or whatever, yeah. or are we talking the ones that were done after? So I'm going to say this new one, the reboot of uh, the 2009 one. I'm going to say that one with uh, okay. the dude from Supernaturals in it. Uh, I can't remember his name. Um, so I'm going to go that just because that like jump started my fandom into these type of movies. Um, Okay, what are the other ones? Two or three. You know what? I'm actually going to go 1408. Now there is some speculation of horror. I love that movie. And then I'm going to go Sinister. The first Sinister. 
That, yeah, I saw that in the theater. Now, here's the other question I have for you. I'll put the uh, the hosting. I'll flip it. If you were going to sit with your girlfriend and hold hands and watch a horror movie, which one would you show her to kind of ease her in? Ease Give her a, t a taste of horror, but not make her piss herself. Like one of that kind of a... That won't scare her away. We'll get her a little bit intrigued. It'll be a good movie, but you know... Yeah. You know, if I'm going to... We could have some speculations if this is horror or not, but I just showed her not too long ago to try to do this Shutter Island. Um, oh, yeah. So I think that was like my kind of trying to get her into there. But like the first gory horror movie that I would show her. It doesn't even have to be gore. It doesn't have to be gore. It could be psychological horror. It could yeah. be, uh, it could be a sci-fi horror. Yeah. You know, you could, you can answer it better than I can. Maybe Alien. I was just alien. gonna say alien or aliens. Yeah, um, the original alien or alien versus predator. One of, the, one of okay. those I would probably show her next because it is action along with horror. I would say. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a fair, that's a fair one. Or or even you go old school and show her Gremlins. Oh, Gremlins. Yeah, that's a good one too. What about you? What's your favorite? My, my, my favorite two or three, it kind of depends on the day of the week. And my number one is always 1974, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is an absolute masterpiece, this. And what I love about it is, is that you see the, the poster, you've heard all the talk about it ahead of time, you have an idea conjured in your head, they don't actually show all that much. It allows your imagination to do anything. You see one of them bashed over the head, and it's a brutal. But when you first see it, and, and uh, Leatherface comes in and he slams the door shut. Yes, you see it right away. But a lot of it is psychological. You see certain things, but they don't show you certain things. And your mind thinks you've seen something, but you really haven't. There's the scene where Sally is hanging from the hook. You don't see her neck go in the hook. You think you do, but you don't. The, it is an absolute masterpiece. Toby Hooper in 1974 was very upset that he wasn't given the PG rating. Because back then it was only PG or R. There was no middle ground. And his argument was, there's no nudity. You don't see any breasts. You don't get a single swear word. And there is not that much blood. Why is this not, and why is Jaws PG and why in Texas Chainsaw Massacre not PG? I, I mean, you can, I mean, it's, it's, some of the stuff is horrific and it's dark and it's whatever, but he made a legitimate argument that it could be a PG film. He wasn't going to win, <laughs> because, but it would have been more people getting at the box office, right? So that's my number one. Anybody listening? who has not seen Toby Hooper's 1974 classic, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, stop what you're doing. I think it's on Tubi. I think it's on Prime. Watch it. I actually had my wife, who's not a horror fan, sit and watch it with me for the first time within the last month. She watched the whole thing. The only thing she said at the end is, boy, that ended abruptly. <laughs> I laughed and laughed and laughed. Uh, so that's my number one. My number two is Jaws. Absolutely. I'll argue to anybody that Jaws is a horror film. I think Robert Shaw's portrayal of Quint 
is the most underrated acting performance in American horror cinema, if not all of American cinema. I think Robert Shaw, the stories of Robert Shaw being an absolute drunk are 100% true. You want some fun? Go on to YouTube, look up Robert Shaw on The Tonight Show, look at Robert Shaw on the old British shows. But his portrayal is absolutely phenomenal. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. Jaws is number two for me. And number three is probably at the moment 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland and Leonard Nimoy and Jeff Goldblum. And it's a remake, or not even a remake, an extension from the original from 1955 with Kevin McCarthy. But Donald Sutherland is in my top 10, probably top five, probably top three actors of all time. So diverse. So he gets right into the role and he's, he's got this gravelly voice. Like he, he doesn't sound like Patrick Swayze or he doesn't sound like Tom Cruise. He's not one of those, I'm going to get a lover and I'm going to sweep her off her feet. No, 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 no. He's, he's an everyman, but he plays the role perfectly. And the scare and the, the implications of it, like we're still talking in 1977. We're talking in the, uh, the Russians are still a threat. You've got the Chinese are approaching. Does this mean this and that? And the social implications of that film. Anybody that's never seen this film needs to see this. And that ending, I will argue, is among the top five movies, period. That last scene where you see Donald Sutherland, I'm not going to give it away, but he's pointing. And I'm sure, Colin, you've seen the film. Have you seen the film? Of course you have. Watch the bloody film. It is fantastic. That's a great way to end it. Thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time. I hope you did. I absolutely did. Yeah, I'll come back anytime we can get into fantasy football Definitely. we can get into and if you're out in oregon maybe are you a hockey fan i am a hockey fan um oh. so i'm from vegas golden knights golden knights yeah i uh, i grew up playing hockey till the age of about 16 when i realized i wasn't getting drafted and i was tired of getting up at 5 30 for practices mm-hmm. so <laughs> i uh love hockey i love baseball i'm trying to see if the blue jays sign anybody now they got some money now they got an up-and-coming team maybe they'll sign somebody and I'm looking forward to seeing the Packers in the Super Bowl in February. I'm not, but it was great to talk to you. <laughs> okay, talk to you later, Carl. Yeah, definitely. I'll, um, I'll shoot you the links and everything when it's out, all right? Yeah, uh, do that. And uh, then I can pr- promote it on Land of the Creeps as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, so I hold on to them for a little bit. So it should be out not this week, probably the next week. Um, yeah, but, just, just give me a shout. And I'll also yeah. – um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I friended you, so I'll invite you to the Land of the Creeps uh, page. What a great episode, am I right? It was wild. We went on a, like a really long journey of just philosophical things and horror, and it was really good. If you guys like this episode, share it to five of your friends. Follow me on my social media at Colin Man. Subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. And as always, stay demanding answers.